Hello, I'm Amelia, and as part of our Black History Month podcast series, I have the pleasure of speaking to Janelle Brisbane today. Janelle is an assistant forest officer at Dominica's Forestry, Wildlife and Parks Division, and in 2018 she founded Wild Dominique, a conservation organisation that seeks to support and promote sound conservation practices in Dominica. Janelle, hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me today. How are you? Hi, Amelia. Thank you. I'm good. I'm just enjoying the warm, beautiful weather over in the islands. <laughs> oh, lovely. I'm jealous. <laughs> so, Janelle, last year you wrote a blog post for us about how being surrounded by nature growing up in Dominica was influential to your ultimate career in ecology. Can you tell us a little bit about this experience and how you navigated your journey in ecology? Yeah, so... A little bit of background in Dominica, we were originally called Waisi Kubuli, which is all Kalanago word to mean tall as her body. And they named her that because Dominica has the highest density of volcanoes in the world. So if you picture this green island, green rugged island, super mountainous, packed with trails and beautiful forests, um, there's no venomous animal here, no megafauna. So my childhood was basically running these trails, running through the forest, you know, searching for wildlife, growing up in the river, growing up in the sea, jumping on river stones, swinging from vines. Like that that was my childhood. And my parents were also very um, enthusiastic about nature. So whereas some people grew up with a fear of snakes and frogs, like my dad would see what we call a little kuwes, it's all racist snake. Um, he would pick it up and he will put it in my hand, you know. so. From the time I was like four or five, I never had these fears. So I was developing this mm -hmm. understanding, you know, of, of our connection with the natural world and how um, our wildlife interacts with us and how we interact with them. So from that time, um, actually, the, the day I knew I wanted to be an ecologist, um, we do this thing where we spray ants nests with water to try and chase them away. And I sprayed an ancest with water when I was five. I will never forget this. And I saw another ant in the line try to save an ant that was in that water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, my goodness, what did I do? So I vowed from that day <laughs> to make up for my mistake. And, um, you know, like, I that, that was the beginning of my journey, basically, to try and develop my understanding of, of what was going on in the natural world. Because, you know, you some people have this belief that animals don't feel, animals don't think. Um, but when you see interactions like that, that, that moment of, um, I, I guess, like a social structure, you know, caring, yeah. yeah, it just, it kind of blows your mind. And you realize that there's so much that you do not understand and they deserve as much as you do to be here on this earth, you know. So, yeah, <laughs> that that was my my childhood, <laughs> my five year old yeah. me. Um, and then, growing up in the islands, the unfortunate thing, you know, you have this beautiful environment, but you don't have the facility to be able to pursue these careers. Yeah, yeah. Um, understandably so. I mean, we're an island of about fifty thousand people. There's only so much um, that you can teach because there's only so much capacity you can have in such a small population. Mm -hmm. So um, I had to go overseas to study. I first went to University of Florida 
um, where I studied wildlife ecology, and then I moved on to Imperial College, um, London, where I did my master's in tropical forest ecology. Um, and then Hurricane Maria came. Yay! <laughs> the strongest yeah. hurricane to ever hit Dominica. Um, and I realized that, you know, I know there's a lot of opportunities overseas for me to pursue my career um, and to con continue to grow. But when nature calls you home, you have to answer yeah. that call. And um, there's no other ecologist on this island. So it, it was a matter of duty to country, you know, where I know I'm developing these skills. Um, I have this knowledge and it's only fitting for me to come back and to be able to develop something here and to help protect the very thing that grew me. Yeah. So we mentioned that you founded this conservation organization, Wild Dominique. Um, what work do you do and what was the impact of the hurricane on um, biodiversity and ecology on the island? Yeah. So the good thing about Dominica, because of our delay in the colonial history, Dominica is actually um, what we would call the most complete biodiversity set of the islands, you know, in terms of the forest structure and um, the wildlife that's represented here. A lot of the other islands no longer have that because of development of invasive species like the mongoose. So um, when Hurricane Maria came through, some of these species still had enough of a safety net population to be able to survive a major storm like that, whereas in the other islands, they probably would have been gone. But we also yeah. have um, some of our critically endangered species like the mountain chicken frog and our sister parrot, which is our national bird, where the numbers were thought to be, you know, roughly around 100 before the hurricane. So when this storm mm -hmm. comes through and it decimates about 95% of your forest structure, you know, it, it literally looked like a war zone. Like someone had lit yeah. a match to the entire island but flooded it at the same time. It was mass landslides. It looked like a tornado had wrecked the place. Like it was just like everything at once in a matter of a few hours. So, you know, there was very little food um, for our wildlife mm -hmm. on the island, very little shelter. Um, and yeah, animals were dropping from dehydration, starvation, stress. Um, and, you know, people were also in survival mode. So some species yeah. that have never been on the hunted list people were hunting them because they had to survive. So you had this very um, complex human wildlife dynamic that was happening after the hurricane. Yeah. And um, yeah, we recognized, you know, that, that there was this gap in um, conservation action, not necessarily yeah. because people didn't want to take action, but it was the, the human capacity and the resource, like the financial capacity to be able to do so. Mm -hmm. um, so we spoke with a number of our, um, a number of agencies that we've had previous relationships with in Dominica, and we decided to move forward with starting a conservation NGO here with the aim of building that capacity. So when another hurricane does come or some other disaster comes, whether it's human or natural, we would have people and resources on the island to be able to facilitate that rapid response without, you know, that waiting period, um, which could, you know, in that waiting period, you could possibly lose an entire species. It must have felt really daunting you coming into that situation where there's been so much destruction. Um, 
did you immediately know what it was that you wanted to do? It was more like a moment of mass panic. <laughs> so I was actually here for Maria. Um, and two weeks later is when I started my master's at Imperial College. Somehow, oh my gosh. Yeah, I know, I wrote the school. I was like, I don't know if I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> but um, somehow managed to make it on a plane off this island and then island hop and then eventually make it to London. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we went to our partners like Fauna and Flora, Daryl's Zoological Society of London. Um, and we sat down with them and we were like, listen, here are the pictures. This is what Dominica looks like. This is what's going on. Um, you know, based on the, our history of conservation action in Dominica, this is what we think will happen, what we cannot manage. Um, and I think it was just, you know, basically opening my mouth and asking for help. Sometimes we forget yeah. the importance of doing that. We think like, oh, you know, like we're we're in this moment of um, like this disaster and um, like it's, it feels overwhelming and like we have to take it all on. But the beautiful thing mm -hmm. about the conservation community is that it truly is a family. You know, I mean, you yeah. obviously have one or two where you know <laughs> um conservation it really it does feel like a family and you realize that when you're in a moment like this and you simply open your mouth and ask for help and the number of people who who step up to really like help you take on that challenge is I, I think it was one of the beautiful things that came out out of one of the most devastating events in Dominica was that um, it, it was that response, you know, that, that yeah. human response. And um, I guess it, it was through communicating, you know, with experts in the region and internationally where we realized, okay, these are the species that we can target because these species mm -hmm. were probably heavily affected or they have been affected in other islands and it's important to ensure their safety in Jamaica following this. Um, so yeah, we had a series of conversations from once to the next to the next and the network grew and we were like, okay, so we're going to start working on iguanas. We're going to start working on mountain chicken frogs. We're going to start, you know, surveying for our annuals, which we call Sandrily here. Um, yeah. And now we're going to, um, facilitate some pirate work. So it's slowly, slowly building up. Yeah. How successful has the recovery been of ecology and Dominica? It depends on the species. So actually, my, my yeah. master's was looking at like the effects of Maria on, on our forest structure. And mm -hmm. um, I always say, people think I'm a bit crazy for saying this, but it's the ecologist in me. Because when you go through um, a natural disaster, there's a quote that a natural phenomena becomes a disaster when you throw humans into the equation. Without humans, yeah. it is simply just a natural phenomena. And it's true, like our islands were shaped by hurricanes. You know, um, a yeah. decade or two before I was born, we had another major storm here. The, the problem, obviously, is that the intensity and the frequency is increasing. But when you look at like what happened after Maria, it's it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience in terms of seeing how the forest comes back. You know, you're seeing species in places you would never see before. You're seeing them interact with each other in ways you've never seen before. Um, mm -hmm. You're seeing the forest literally grow from the ground up. You know, like an entire forest is restoring itself. And thankfully, 
because Dominica still has a lot of these forest reserves and other, you know, vegetation reserves. Um, six years since Maria, um, there are a lot of places where you would look at and you wouldn't even recognize that a hurricane had passed here. Um, I mean, obviously, until you take a closer look and you realize that, okay, um, snakes still seem to be um, a bit on the low side. And then you have all critically endangered species, yeah. one we just did a survey for, um, where we suspected there were maybe 130 in the wild, and now we think they're about maybe 30, 40 in the wild. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But on, on the surface level, Dominica is recovering really well. Um, and it's just certain places where the trees are still, they look like little matchsticks with like green balls of tough on them yeah. instead of like this beautiful canopy. But in, yeah, when you, when you take that deeper dive into it and you realize some of the ecological structures are not quite back where they used to be. At the moment, what sort of work are you doing both with Wild Dominique and also with the forestry division? Yeah, when you're the only ecologist on the island, that's a very loaded question. <laughs> um, so a lot, I'm guessing, a lot of work. Yeah, surprisingly, I don't have any grey hairs yet. <laughs> Hoping to keep it up. Um, so what we've realised is that it's not that people don't care about conservation here or don't want to participate um, based on the history of the Caribbean and the history of who has done ecological work and conservation work in the region, yeah. um, we've come to realize that a lot of people don't go towards this field because they don't believe it's a field for them. Mm -hmm. um, they don't see themselves as an ecologist and they don't think of it as a career opportunity. Like They, they don't see the value in it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people actually don't even know, you know, about like the environmental space and all the careers that um, come with that environmental space. Even though we're the nature island of the Caribbean, you would think, you know, that we would have more awareness in this. But we've had a history of, you know, researchers coming in, doing stuff and then leaving and not necessarily building that capacity. So our main focus is trying to build that capacity both through you know, our species projects, our wildlife preservation projects, working with our um, regionally endemic or island endemic and endangered species, um, but also through education. So we're trying to start a program here similar to the Junior Ranger program um, in the United States or the Into the Wild program in Antigua, um, just, to, just to allow kids to understand that this is a space for them as well yeah. as they're growing up, what it is, the role that they play, and then hopefully that then influences their home and community structures as well. And so you have that domino effect. Um, and then, I mean, because you never know, like tomorrow something might happen to me or my staff. Um, and then who is here? to take on those responsibilities yeah. or who has the knowledge and skills to at least facilitate something. Um, so that that is one of our major goals is just trying to, we call it a re-education because, mm -hmm. um, you know, our islands were originally inhabited by our indigenous people and Dominica's um, the last island with a recognized community of Kalanagos. Yeah. So we were once an island that, you know, conservation wasn't a word because it was just a way of life. 
Yeah. And then our history changed. So we call it a re-education. We now have to go back to the process of building back what was destroyed um, and re-establishing that foundation. So that's our main, <laughs> our main um, thought process, our main drive. We're also working to um, redesign our policies in Dominica because a lot of them were written in the 70s. We gained independence in 78. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of them were written around that time. But Dominica actually set um, pace for a lot of the Caribbean islands because we had the first national park in the Eastern Caribbean, the first national UNESCO World Heritage Site in the entire region. So we had a lot of... Um, like a solid ground to stand on when it comes to protected areas and the like. But the 70s were a time of use and extraction, you know, harvest in the forest, yeah. not necessarily the sustainable um, conservation mindset that we have today. So we're yeah. trying to, yeah, um, facilitate that shift from use, from use um, and exploitation to more of that sustainable use like conservation would preach. Um, and I think the last one, our last major um, push mm -hmm. is for regional collaboration, because, again, our history, you know, it's like this country is still a dependent of whatever country. Um, yeah. This one's independent. This one speaks French. This one speaks English. There is a lot of what we call invisible lines in the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. You know, Greater Antilles versus Lesser Antilles, the yeah, the the West versus the East, the French versus the English, the Dependence versus the yeah. Independence, um, and in the experience of having like the limited capacity here, but you know, there's so much experience in my neighboring islands. Mm -hmm. Why is it that we have the same species, the same habitats, the same um, general culture and issues that we face, but possibly different solutions or different resources it's like a jigsaw puzzle you know that you can fit together yeah. to actually form the perfect conservation action plan um so we started regional working groups for the different species we work with um, that are regional endemics um and we've been doing more and more exchange trips to facilitate knowledge and skills exchange um an idea flowing they come here we go there um, and just just that community, that ecological community across the Caribbean that once did not exist. You've just mentioned the idea of re-education and sort of promoting ecology. Um, what do you think is the best way to go about this? Yeah, so I know I talk a lot about, um, you know, like building the platform on the island, but I I also believe that we are all global citizens, you know, like, these boundaries a, a few, maybe like three, four hundred years ago didn't exist within our region. Um, so whether it's Dominica or Guadeloupe or Jamaica or wherever else, um, we're all in this together. We're all global citizens. And I think the best way to go about that is to recognize that um, like all of us, all countries have a, a part to play. Mm -hmm. in building up that ecological foundation in supporting each other. So it's not about, um, okay, what do we need to do in Dominica and reinventing the wheel? You know, it's building that network and learning from other places and spaces um, 
and being able to take their best practices and bring it home or, you know, to have those exchanges where we can build on the work that they're doing and bring it home. Um, yeah, so once you, you have an idea of like the best practices of what other spaces are using, um, I think you come to realize that education is always a two-pronged approach. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a matter of what capacity you have to facilitate that two-pronged approach. Yeah. You have to target the adults. You have to target those decision makers um, whilst also targeting the kids because they're going to grow up and be the decision makers and yeah. they need to understand why this change was made. Um, you know, policy sometimes, it's a decision maker's creating policy to influence the public and sometimes you have to influence the public to then change the policy um so it it all depends on on what you really want to do when it comes to re-education but no one no one can be left behind um the matter of your capacity to be able to to take it all on yeah so, do you know, as we mentioned, this is a podcast for Black History Month, celebrating the work of Black ecologists around the world. Um, how would you describe the impact of being part of the Black community on your academic career and your career within ecology? I think it's it's exactly what I said earlier about people here not seeing themselves within that space. Yeah. And I think it's because for a long time, um, people of colour were not represented within that space to the degree that um, we are today. And because of that, you've had this, um, this, this gap within the islands or other regions where you do not see people taking ownership of their resources or um, you know, being pushed into these careers. It's, it's been like the doctors, the lawyers, the engineers, you know, what we perceive to be these higher paying um, jobs that people have been pushed into because of some of the economic settings in our countries um, without realizing the important role that you know people of color would play in these positions especially in your home country where you have that understanding of culture of the economics of um, the social structure of the the ecosystem and just it's simply the ownership and since i have come back home um and being in this space, I have definitely noticed a change, um, you know, in, in terms of people telling me that, you know, they see themselves here now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, I think that's the, the greatest thing that can ever come out of this is just, yeah. you know, people, people communicating that and people saying that um, something that they once thought was not for them is, is now for them. Yeah. Um, and being able to to open that space, it's it's a really big fight. <laughs> yeah. I get really emotional over this, but it's it's still a big push because I will tell you, when I worked with the Florida Fish and Wildlife um, Conservation Commission mm-hmm. in Florida, <laughs> after I finished my undergrad, I was working. I love that job. I was working um, as like a basic entry-level fish and wildlife technician I had my undergrad degree only that at the time um and I felt as if I had more respect than when I moved back home working a higher position with my own organization and a master's Mm -hmm. under me um just because I was no longer in the states I am now 
you know, a person of color back in a small island. Um, and so you still have all these challenges where you can definitely feel that there is a lot of um, disrespect and a lot of yeah. kind of throw in under the table because they do not see you as an equal in some of these spaces. Yeah. But I think, you know, because it, it's not just me, like I have, I now have a network of people who look like me or who are diverse in other ways that um, can support me and can support others in the region or in other regions um, and inspire the next generation because somebody inspired me, you know, yeah. and um, yeah. And, and bring everyone up. So when we do go through these difficult moments, um, we have that network to keep fighting and to keep pushing because someone pushed for us and we, we are going to keep pushing for that generation that is coming up and the generations after them until we feel as if, you know, the, the table is where it needs to be. Um, someone told me the other day, you know, we're fighting for a seat at a table that was not designed for us to sit at yeah. where we can make our own table and invite them in to sit at that one instead. So this idea of representation and a lack of representation has come up a lot from people around the world. Um, what do you think the broader ecological community can do to improve representation in ecology and better support black ecologists? Yeah, so based on the experiences I have had in my early career, <laughs> um, I think one of my biggest challenges is that a lot of my energy has had to go into trying to get people to understand who we are um, mm -hmm. and why things are the certain way. Because some of these systems were not designed by us. For example, you know, like published in a scientific journal um, yeah. that was developed, you know, by a certain society um, with a certain culture. And especially when you're talking like cross languages too, like that's a whole different mm -hmm. layer. But there is there is a different level of perception that we all have a different way of going about doing things. Um, and I think that some people still take a bit of advantage when it comes to, to that difference. Um, I've come to realize that um, once you have these conversations, people realize, you know, like, the, the errors in those ways um so they don't always intend to do it you know intentionally but my my biggest thing that i can tell to the, the ecological society and just you know whoever else is out there is mm. to take take that time to understand the difference between people um and the importance of having that difference be heard because if they don't do that what ends up happening, which has happened to me a lot, is a lot of our energy goes into um, validating our seats at that table yeah. instead of actually working on what we're supposed to be doing. Have you got any words or experiences that you'd like to share to encourage others to further their interest in ecology, to get involved? Yeah. Um, Obviously, I'm extremely biased when it comes to ecology, <laughs> but I think it is the best career in this entire world. <laughs> um, my advice, e even if you don't want to necessarily be a field worker, I think what some people don't realize is how diverse the field of ecology is within itself. Mm -hmm. 
So if you want to go the um, communication side or you want to go into computer science, that does not mean that it has to be exclusive from ecology. You know, somebody, I'm, I'm a, a field person, at least I, I pretend to be, I've been doing a lot more paperwork. Okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, like in the field, somebody had to have created the devices that we needed and the modeling systems that we need. Um, you know, somebody has to analyze the data. Somebody has to communicate the messages that we're finding in the field. It's, and then, and then you go um, to the decision-making side of things. You know, like it's, it's this whole world within itself. Um, but I think, honestly, it's the most rewarding place that you can be in to take the time to understand the things that are around you. Um, you're not only understanding wildlife, you're understanding the root of this world. And in understanding yeah. that root of the world, you're understanding yourself. Um, it's it's this beautiful peace that you feel when you work in this field um, and and you make that connection with nature. You see yourself reflected in everything and you see everything reflected in you. Um, so with that being said, I guess people who want to pursue a career in ecology, um, I would say, you know, what I had to do was I tried my hand out in a lot of different things before I figured out where I wanted to be. Um, don't don't settle on one thing. You know, I didn't think I wanted to work with birds, but I worked with birds anyways, just to confirm. <laughs> Love birds. Did you realize you didn't want to do birds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love birds. <laughs> I'm, I'm a herb person so I love my reptiles I love my amphibians but <laughs> uh, birds are cool but you know I still I still worked with them and I learned so many things from that from that experience um, I gained so many skills you know I learned to drive boats and trailers and the like um, do radio telemetry then I I tried my hand out with um, communications human mm -hmm. dimension and that opened up my mind because sometimes we get into this field thinking that um, oh, we want to be an ecologist because we don't want to interact with people. <laughs> Just want to be in the bush somewhere. I wish. <laughs> yeah, fun fact, you have a lot more interaction to do with people than you ever want to do. Um, I didn't think that that would be important for me. Those skills would be important until I, I took that class in human dimensions. Yeah. And I realized, you know, how important that was um, to have. I minored in environmental law because I wanted to know like what it would be like to go the decision-making route. I'm not saying that people should do all of this because there was a lot, but um, I'm saying that you don't, don't close off your mind to one thing, experience it. Ecology is all about um, experiencing the world and figuring out how to allow others to continue experiencing that world a lot yeah. um, around you you know so experience the world um look for opportunities where you get to dip your hands in different fields and if if those opportunities don't exist because when i first came back home that's why i started wild dominique mm -hmm. there was no space for me here i created my own space um but i'm i'm saying this it's not an easy thing but I didn't do it alone. You know, if you are interested in um, doing ecology and creating that space for yourself, 
there's a whole network of people out here who are willing to support you. I know it, it can seem very like overwhelming, you know, like, you know, who are you to reach out to whatever? Cause that's what I felt. But then you soon realize that that, that doesn't exist. You know, um, no one, it, there's more of an equal playing field I find in this field yeah. and in like the business world. Um, and you shouldn't hesitate because the worst thing that can happen is that someone says, you know, I'm sorry, we don't have time, but they can also stay in that same breath. I don't have time, but here are some people who, you know, um, have just gone through this experience and have the time that can help you. And that's what happened a lot with me. Um, and which is how I got here today. So highly encourage people to reach out. Um, yeah. And, and see where that journey takes them. Yeah. Have you got a favorite or a fondest memory of your work as an ecologist? That's a tough one. Favorites are always hard. But what I will say, this summer we did a massive survey um, for the mountain chicken frog. Mm -hmm. And it, that we only end up um, finding about 20 individuals, 23 individuals in the wild um, during that five to seven week period but despite that I think what was fascinating was to see when we did find the frog the collective of people that you know was there in that moment it was um the fastest survey I've ever had to turn around in my life it was like five minutes to put not five minutes sorry five months to put everything together yeah. um yes again don't know how I don't have gray hairs but <laughs> What what happened is that, you know, people came from around the region, you know, several islands who don't have this species, you know, so it's like what 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 is their interest in protecting the species for us? It, it was simply out of the desire to help, you know, and to facilitate a sister island. But yeah, from from within the region, um, you know, people had their ethnicities from Chile, people came all the way from Latvia to help wow. us, you know, and it's just seen that quick, rapid mass response um, and to be able to have everyone in Dominica where we're finding these frogs and experiencing that moment together as that, that beautiful collective, um, I think that's a moment that is forever going to stick in my mind as what I think the epitome of conservation should be. Yeah, it must be incredibly fulfilling to just see that happen and see everybody come together for one shared goal. Yeah, yeah. Why can't we do that for other things? <laughs> it's true. Um, so we're coming towards the end of our podcast today, um, but I've got a final two questions for you. So first of all, I'd like to ask you, do you have any role models both within ecology and outside of ecology as well? Yeah, so I think my biggest role model um is definitely it's still Miss Jacqueline Andre. She's the head of national parks in Dominica. And I would say she's my biggest role model because one, she's from here. So growing up, um I knew her growing up. I knew her daughter growing up. Yeah. Um she was somebody I could look at as this could be me one day. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm actually currently sitting at her desk. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> um, but she's retiring soon. And so I'm beginning to realize more and more the influence that she has had in my life. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the impact she's had, the influence she's had, because she's soon going to be out of this office. And I feel like I'm going to be like this headless chicken. Like, what do I do? <laughs> um but she she not only um you know looks like someone i could be but it's the way she operates you know it's the dignity and the respect that she carries um within herself and it's the support that she gives to myself and to others you know when we are experiencing things she's very quick to pick up that phone and, um, you know, trying to sort out the issues, trying to create that space for us, trying to ensure, um, you know, that we can be represented or we are included. And she has taught me so many valuable lessons in that to be able to pass that on to others and create that space for others as well. Um, yes, love her to bits. So sad she's retired. I'm going to still be calling her every day like that. <laughs> Um, but yeah so apart from her I think my my role models outside of ecology would definitely be my parents yeah um because they are the ones I like you know in the region and other regions um taking the career of conservation and ecology is not mainstream um and is not always the most encouraged path Mm -hmm. but you know my parents took the time to introduced me to our mother nature and developed that love and respect and they encouraged me into this field um so i would say that they are definitely one of my biggest role models in that you know they gave me the path that i needed to be able to be where i am today um so yeah i I owe them much love and respect (laughs) yeah it must be lovely to to have just sort of been surrounded by people who you can still look to and go, this is what I'm doing. And I've, I've got this from you and I've got this from you and I can see a direction for myself. That must be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I definitely have a lot of um, other friends of color in this field who did not have that support. Yeah. Um, and I can definitely see, you know, the toll that it took on them in being able to fight for the career that they wanted. So definitely eternally grateful for the path that I had um and I hope that you know like when you do have these opportunities and you do have these moments of privilege um you're granted that to be able to pass it on to other people so I do hope that I can take those experiences and create that path for other people um you know recognize that maybe they do need that support network or give it to them anyways um you know so that they can they can feel the, the support um, and that network that I I have and I've yeah. probably always had. Yeah. And finally, Chanel, I'd like to ask you, are there any black ecologists or groups, organisations who are doing work that you really admire and that you'd like to shout out? Oh, where's the start? <laughs> um, well, I have a really good friend over in Jamaica. Her name is Treya Picken and she... Um, She's a rock star. She actually just completed the island's first um, like island-wide survey for the crocodile species over there. So not only is she a woman of color, but she's working with crocodiles. So she's definitely breaking a whole different layer. You know, in an island, yeah. um, all islands have a very macho culture, I would say. Mm-hmm. So when a woman steps up and does something like this, you know, it definitely 
it changes the game. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and then there, there are amazing organizations like the Environmental Awareness Group in Antigua. Um, the work that they have been doing, Shana and Arika, um, admirable. They just created um, the newest protected area in the Caribbean. So to see the work that they have put in over the years finally come to fruition um, and, and the push. So they're not stopping there, you know, like the push that um, the fight that they're still going through and the mm -hmm. things that they're still pushing to keep it going and to take it to the next level is extremely admirable. Um, yeah. Much respect. Yeah, I hope I hope that we'll get to the level that the EAG is is at one day. But um, they're they're definitely setting pace in the Caribbean, and I highly encourage them to keep going because people are definitely seeing the good work that they're doing. Fantastic, Janelle Brisbane. Thank you so much for speaking to me today. It's been lovely. Yes, thank you for having me, Amelia. I really appreciate this opportunity.